Romans 1, uh, it's, uh, oh, I don't see a PowerPoint. I don't know what page it's on, so you'll have to look. <laughs> Romans 1, first book of Romans. We're going to read 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to the son, to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call the people from among all of the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also who are among those who are called to be to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be the saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with, all my, with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last my God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want to be to want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles. I am obligated by obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who belongs, <clears throat> everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel is a righteousness from God who is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. Thank you, Randy. And I encourage you to have your Bibles open to this passage. We're going to go through it uh, verse by verse, section by section. And there's also an outline in your bulletin to help us uh, with that progression. Um, as we want to learn and dig into what God reveals to us in the Scripture. Uh, before we begin, I forgot to mention that the flowers that are on the, uh, on the platform today are from the funeral of Mary Van Zee and her husband Dick. Uh, Mary is a sister to Jean Fick and Ev Brewer and an aunt to um, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, Cindy and Robin and Heather. And um, yeah, I wanted to just mention that um, as we remember them in their memory after their funeral yesterday. Well, before we begin, let's, let's just calm our hearts and minds in a time of silent prayer.
Amen. Well, how would you begin a letter to a group of people that you've never met before and to whom you plan to come and visit? Maybe like some relatives in, in Europe where your ancestors came from and you wanted to introduce yourself. And not only that, but this letter is important in the sense that you're going to need these people's help to advance your career and advance any cause that you have. So how would you start the letter? How would you want to introduce yourself? Well, you'd probably do it very carefully. And that's exactly how Paul begins his letter to the Christians in the city of Rome. Paul originally is a Jewish rabbi in the time of Christ who persecutes the earliest Christians. But he is dramatically converted and he completely changes the direction of his life. He becomes the greatest missionary of the Christian faith. You can read all about his story in the book of Acts in the New Testament starting at verse 8. He ends up writing most of the New Testament. He establishes the first churches in Europe. And next to Jesus himself, Paul becomes one of the most influential people in history. Now he's been crisscrossing the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean, preaching and teaching the Christian message and establishing Christian churches. But now he has the opportunity to enter the biggest and the most important mission field of all, the capital of the empire, the center of the Western world, the city of Rome. There is a small church of Christians there already. We're not sure how they got started. Maybe some converts from Jerusalem or, or from Greece. But Paul wants to come to them and he wants to introduce himself to them. The first 17 verses in this letter to the Romans are an autobiography. Paul talks about who he is, describes his message, his ministry and his motivation. He begins in verse 1, I was set apart for the gospel of God. That word gospel is used four times in the first 17 verses. This is Paul's passion. He wants to spread this good news about a resurrected Savior named Jesus Christ. So today we are beginning a sermon series on this book of the Bible called Romans. A letter that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in about 57 A.D., and to get started, we're going to look at who Paul is, the man, his message, his ministry, and his motivation. And as we do so, we're going to learn how we can make an impact in our world with the same gospel. So Paul begins in verse 1. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul the man, 
Who is this guy? He describes himself as a servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. And friends, all of us are a servant to something. We all serve a master of some kind in some way. And as we get into this letter, Paul's going to tell us we are all slaves to sin and to legalism. But here he says, gladly, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And he says he's called to be an apostle. God has called him to start new churches in unreached areas. That's what apostles do. Apostles are gifted to go to unreached peoples. They've never heard about Jesus. Now you and I may not be called to be apostles and plant churches, but we are all called to do something in God's kingdom based on the gifts and abilities he gives us. Then he says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. I'm, I'm set apart for this message. This is my one thing. This is my priority. It's my specialty. The gospel is the theme of his life. And it's meant to be ours as well. The gospel is our theme wherever we live, wherever we work, and, and with the people that we relate to. Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. Well, what is the gospel? What is he referring to here? Paul explains it as his message in life, his life message in verses 2 through 6. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. Gospel. Gospel means good news. Literally, that, that is just simply what it means. If you are a car racer and you win the race, your gospel is, I won, I have the trophy. If you graduate from college or from high school, your gospel message is, I graduated, that's my good news. <laughs> Paul says several things about his good news. He says, first of all, it was predicted and promised in the Bible. Verse 2, the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. So the Christian gospel doesn't begin in the New Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this good news. We see it in signs and in the sacrificial system, in the special characters of the Old Testament, in its symbols and promises and predictions. At first, it's kind of vague. But then you start seeing the types and the illustrations of this good news, the, the foreshadowing of something that's going to come. And as it gets closer and closer to the time of the Savior, it gets more and more specific. Paul says it's all promised beforehand. And the next thing he says about the gospel 
is that it is a person. It's about a person. Verse 3, regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David. David, of course, was a king of the Israelites. So the gospel good news is a person. The gospel is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. If you take Buddha out of Buddhism, you still have a great philosophy. If you take Muhammad out of Islam, you still have a religious system by which to live by. But if you take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, it falls apart because it's all based on him, who he is and what he has done. Christianity is not a religious system. It's not a philosophy. It's a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And Paul says two very interesting things about Jesus. Very paradoxical things. He says first, he's an actual human being. He's not a superman. He's not a ghost. He has a human nature. He says he's a descendant of King David. And it was promised in the Old Testament that the Christ, the Savior, would come through the family tree of David. So Jesus, the son of David, is a real human being. And this is very important. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. Jesus is 100% human, and that means he has experienced everything that you and I go through. He knows pain. He knows problems. He knows betrayal, temptation. He even experiences death. And all of that suffering and loss, he knows what it's like. And being a human being also makes him eligible to be a substitute for us on the cross. And at the same time, the amazing thing, the mind stretcher, is Jesus is also 100% God. He's divine. Verse 4, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is not only 100% human, but 100% God. And how do we know that? How can we be sure? because he rose bodily from the dead. His resurrection ensures us that he is indeed the Son of God and that he has achieved for us salvation, that he has defeated Satan and evil. But friends, in verse 5 is where the good news becomes the good news, where Paul says, through him... And for his name's sake, 
we receive grace. We receive grace. Grace is when you give something to someone that they need, not what they deserve. The Bible says God doesn't give us what we deserve. Because what we deserve is judgment. And what we deserve is condemnation. And if that's what we got, no one would be alive. Because of human sin, and because of human rebellion, and human idolatry, that is our condition. And Paul is going to lay that out for us very clearly. But God, Paul says, doesn't give us what we deserve, but through the resurrected Jesus gives us what we need, and that is grace, forgiveness, mercy. This is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus Christ. He gives us grace, a grace that Paul's going to flesh out in detail in this letter. And then in verses 5 and 6, he makes it clear that the gospel is for everybody. It's for the whole world. He describes how the apostles received grace to call people from all the Gentiles to belong to Jesus. Now, to the Jewish people, and in the Old Testament, there's only two types of people. There's either Jews, God's called people, or there are non-Jews. And those non-Jews are called Gentiles. So they don't recognize any other race. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So a Gentile, we're Gentiles. Okay, if we aren't ethnically or religiously Jewish. And, and Paul is saying, even though the gospel comes through the Jewish people, it's for Gentiles. It's global. It's universal for Jew and Gentile alike. This is a good news. It's for everyone. It's a message about a man named Jesus who's 100% God and 100% man who embodies the message of our Creator's grace towards all people and proves it with His resurrection from the dead. Now what comes next is wisdom for us in how we can take this gospel and we can have a ministry and an influence with people. Verse 7, he begins, To all who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He describes the people in Rome as saints. A saint is someone who simply belongs to Jesus. If you have faith and you follow Jesus, you are a saint. The word saint does not refer to an elite class of Christians. All of us are saints. And he uses the common phrase, grace and peace to you. He uses that phrase in every letter. Grace here literally means favor. Kindness. And peace is the Hebrew greeting, shalom. When you have grace, you're going to have peace. And then verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
He's thankful for them. He begins with a compliment. And, and, and if you and I want to be a godly influence in people's lives, if we want to help people grow in the Lord, develop a ministry of encouragement. Give people affirmation. There's plenty of critics in the world, and it doesn't take anything to be a critic. But Paul builds people up by affirming them. And we do that with a word of gratitude, a compliment, an affirmation. And from this we see this, this address to the people there. There is a church in Rome. And Paul didn't start it. It's possible, as I said earlier, maybe some of his converts moved to Rome and shared Jesus there. Some think Priscilla and Aquila came from the city of Corinth, started a church, and it began to grow. And Paul is thankful for them. Now, friends, what do you think any church should be famous for? What, what, what should a church be famous for? Some churches are famous for their size. Some churches are famous for their architecture. Some churches are famous for their pastor or their music. The church in Rome has none of this. But the Roman church is famous for their faith. And let's remember that in the first century, Rome is not an easy place to be a Christian or to have a church. It's a corrupt and immoral city. It becomes very, very hostile to Christians. But Paul says in verse 8, because your faith is being reported all over the world. This is what God wants the church to be known for. Our faith and our love. What do you think the reputation of First Reformed Church in Rock Rapids is? What do you think unbelievers and unchurched people think about our congregation? The answer is our church is known for whatever you are. Forever who you are. Because you are the church. What do people think about you? The church is not the pastor. It's not the staff. It's not a building. It's not all our programs. The church is the people. And whatever and whoever we are, that is what our reputation will be. Paul goes on in verse 9. He says, God is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. One of the reasons the Roman church is strong is because Paul is praying for them. Praying members make a strong church. He says he prays constantly. Well, friends, how often this past week have you prayed for your church? Paul, he's praying for people he's never met. He's never seen. And yet he says, every day I pray for you. What would happen 
<clears throat> if we would commit ourselves to pray every day for First Reformed Church, what kind of difference would that make? And then, verses 10 through 12, he talks about coming to see them. Paul not only wants to pray for them, but he wants to be with them. He wants to meet them. He wants to fellowship with them. He wants to help them. And he wants to be helped by them. And then in verse 11, he says, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. I want to do that to make you strong and be encouraged by you and encourage you. To... Now, he can't give them a spiritual gift. It would read better if he said, I want to come and share my spiritual gift with you. I want to teach. I want to preach to you. Because when spiritual gifts are shared, it says you will become strong and you will become encouraged. And the lesson here is we need each other and we need each other's spiritual gifts. So what we learned this morning from Paul about having a ministry is to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to gather in fellowship with each other, and to exercise our spiritual gifts with each other. These are things that will strengthen the body of Christ. And then Paul concludes with his motivation, with what drives him. In verses 14 through 16, he has three great I am's. He says, verse 14, I am obligated. I am obligated. If you discover today the cure for cancer, a cure that would change thousands of lives, would you be obligated to do something with it? Or would you keep it to yourself? Of course, you would pass it on to others. If you and I have Christ in our lives, we are obligated to share Him. Paul says he's obligated to both those who are cultured and refined and to those who are not. And, and he's, he's obligated to the wise and to the foolish, to those who are educated and who are uneducated. And then his second I am is I am eager. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. It's not just a duty to him. He's totally in. He's totally committed. And he believes it's the greatest thing in the world to share some, with someone this this person of Christ and what he's done. And then verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Now to understand this, we need some background. For the sake of the Christian message, Paul has been thrown in jail in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Berea. It's a great story. He's laughed out of Athens by all the philosophers and thinkers. He's shipwrecked. He's beaten up five times. He's stoned twice and left for dead once. And despite all these negative things, all this pressure from other people, he says, I'm not ashamed. 
I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed to be a servant of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Because it's for everyone who believes. And because it's so simple and life-giving, you, you trust. Paul ends this introduction with a summary. He says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Four words there, gospel, righteousness, God, faith. These are the four major themes of the book of Romans. Only God, the creator, is righteous. And it is only God who gives righteousness to us. He makes a relationship with us right. And Paul says that happens by faith from the beginning to the end, the start and the finish. He quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. So if we want to be right with God and we want to be righteous, then we need to live by faith. It's this gospel that we have been entrusted with. And Paul is our example for how we are to use it and to make an impact, to be effective stewards of the gospel. We all must clarify our relationship to Jesus. We must understand that we are His children and that we are His servants. And we must understand the gospel message that it's about Jesus. Not about rules and regulations. It's about Jesus Christ and what He's done. And we need to recognize the importance of other people who need Him and to have the right motive for sharing the gospel. Church, we are obligated as believers to spread the good news. If we don't share it, we're robbing others of the opportunity to be right with God, to experience eternal life. We do it with confidence. There's no shame in being a Christian and telling others the story of Jesus. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Would you pray with me? Living God, our Father, we thank you that you choose to reveal yourself and your truth with words that you have chosen to reveal truthful words through faithful and obedient people like Paul. We praise you that you knocked him off his horse and you appeared to him and you called him to follow you and serve you. Thank you for this letter that he wrote. And we believe you inspired him by the Holy Spirit, a letter that is a comprehensive description of the Christian message. And Father God, may our minds be renewed by it, 
our emotions inspired by it, our wills directed with it, and our, and our spirits filled with it. As it all points us to Jesus, our need for Him, our provision in Him, and our calling in Him. Father, awaken us once again to all the spiritual realities it speaks to and who we are in Christ, who is our life. Simply, Lord, be glorified in your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.